If you need a Bible, raise your hands and we'll pass one to you. We've got uh, many in the back. I'd love for you to be able to follow along in the Scripture. We have a short passage this morning to look at. And it's on page 676 in the Bible that we hand out. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And I'll just prime the pump a little bit and ask you a simple question to be meditating on. We'll get to this one later. Uh, we've ha- got to make a few um, uh, transpositions to get there. But the question I want to ask you is, is simply this. Who do you work for? Who do you work for? Okay, don't spoil my sermon already, all right? Whoever just said God, okay? <laughs> just teasing. You know, you knew I was going to go there. Um, but who do you work for? And I want you to think about, we, we, can, we know the answer, but, but I want you to think about really day to day, who do you work for? Do you work for your boss, right? Are you, really, are you trying to please your boss? Do you work for your spouse? Are you hoping that your spouse will lift you up and appreciate you? Do you work for your kids to give them all the things that they might need or, or they might want? Um, do, do you work uh, for yourself, trying to find fulfillment out of the work that you do so that you can tell yourself that you're valuable and you're, you're worth something and, and you have a reason to exist? Well, we're going to kind of think through this a little bit as we look at this passage. Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Would you look with me? It says, slaves... And I'm not going to be suggesting that slavery and employment are the same things, although sometimes it feels that way. Um, We're going to transpose some principles in this, but it will go along uh, the path to do that. I won't jump to that. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And masters, do the same to them. and Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. I'd like to ask two questions about this passage. The first one kind of stands on the surface, lies on the surface. Does, does the Bible endorse slavery? And then the second one gets into the meat of application for our lives, although both are connected to it. Uh, and I'll put it this way. How can I have the best boss ever? Okay? How can I have the best boss ever? So the first one, does the Bible endorse slavery? If you've lived in the Bay Area for more than about a month, you've probably been asked this question or somebody has said to you, oh, but the Bible doesn't, that's, you know, it's so archaic and it even, it's even pro-slavery. Uh, and, and, and so you've wondered that question yourself. And let's just wrestle through that briefly this morning together. Some definitions to start the conversation. When we talk about slavery in the scriptures, we're not talking about what's typically called, typically called uh, chattel slavery. Chattel is a word that means possession, a thing. Uh, and so uh, when, when uh, we think of American slavery, it was chattel slavery. It was, it was based on the notion that the slave was no, nothing more than a physical object for the owner to do with him or her as he wished. That's chattel slavery. We're not talking about that kind of slavery when we're reading uh, in the Old Testament especially and also in the New Testament here. 
John Stott, who has, by the way, in his commentary on Ephesians, a wonderful little section on slavery, if you want to research this a little bit more, says that American slavery was worse than Roman slavery. And you probably have some images about Roman slavery in your mind. Roman slavery was worse than Greek slavery, which uh, mainly prior to that. And Greek slavery was worse than Hebrew slavery. And so we have this sort of chain of different kinds of slavery. Um, Let me talk to you about Hebrew slavery a little bit. Hebrew slavery in the Old Testament, as we depicted, showed unprecedented uh, justice towards the slaves for that region and that time. Um, Slaves were to be released after six years. They were part of the family. They celebrated Sabbath. They took part in the feasts. If they were injured, they were to be set free immediately. A slave could buy him or herself out of slavery. Um, Escapees, in many cases, were set free. Uh, if they came to you, um, and they bore no special marks on their bodies uh, unless they chose at the end of their enslavement uh, to then uh, permanently give themselves to their masters, then they would bear a mark. But up until that point, they were not to bear any marks of slavery. And those who owned slaves were uh, commissioned uh, to make sure and not deal ruthlessly with their, their slaves. And we move to the New Testament, and what we find in Roman society is a much more fluid conception of what slavery is. In fact, in the first century B.C., uh, we have record of 500,000 slaves being released in the Roman Empire. And so uh, that was a huge portion of the the, the people who were enslaved. And so slavery was more of a fluid kind of thing. Like in, in, in in the Old Testament, every six years you'd be released, or every 50 years on the Jubilee you'd be released. But in, the, in Roman times, slavery was a fluid kind of a thing. People moved in and out of slavery. Um, a slave oftentimes could hold a very high office and might be more wealthy than you, a free person. Uh, and so there was this sort of movement in and out of slavery. And there's record of the laws continuing to change throughout this period to recognize the identity and value of the slave and to give them more and more rights. Um, and, 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 but, but then even more powerfully than that, um, we, we still wouldn't endorse slavery given that reality in any way. More powerful than that is if you take a really close reading of the New Testament, you, you are led to the conclusion that slavery was to be abolished, but it was going to happen from within the society and the structures. You have to remember that... Um, the number of Christians in this day were minuscule. They didn't have a sense that they were on some sort of political march to change society in fantastic ways. They were a much more subversive kind of element, and they they worked within what was there to kind of explode it and and blow it up. And that was what happened with, um, with Paul's writings. And he, in particular, if you look at the book of Philemon, you can see him sort of tongue-in-cheek leading Philemon, who's the owner of a slave, Onesimus, that has come into Paul's influence and now become a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul is going to send him back to Philemon, but in doing so, he basically is saying to Philemon, you just need to let him go and free him. And, and, and let me read to you what exactly he says in Philemon 15. Um, That's verse 15. There's just one chapter, so verse 15 and 16. Um, For this, perhaps, is why he, Onesimus the slave, was parted from you for a while, 
that you, Philemon, might have him back forever. And listen, this is, this is radical language. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so in a sense, he, he, he's acknowledging this reality of society, but he's, he's saying that, look, in Christ, we have exploded this reality of slave and master. He is now your brother. He's part of your family. And so it's that, it's that way in which the New Testament addresses slavery, kind of exploding it from within. In Colossians 3.11, here, that is within the sphere of Christ, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Now, some will answer back and say, but look at, the, look, at the, look at history and Christians who were on the wrong side of slavery. And we do have to grapple with that. Though, we would go back even as early as Calvin, and Calvin attributed slavery to original sin. So he viewed, he read his Bible carefully, and he came to the same conclusion that I'm suggesting Paul is come to, uh, that fl- slavery is not the way God intended it to be. Um, and people did argue in America, during American slave times uh, from the Bible that God ordained that kind of slavery. And here's my answer to that. They were wrong. They were wrong. And the people who, 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 who were against slavery also argued from the Scripture that slavery was wrong. And their view prevailed and they eventually won out the argument. But they were arguing from Scripture. In fact... Probably the most incendiary work of the day, Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe, was written by a preacher's daughter who very much was writing out of her understanding. I mean, if you've read Uncle Tom's Cabin, it just, you, it just bleeds with Scripture. And when Abraham Lincoln met her, he said, so you're the little woman who started this war, referring to the Civil War. So you see that the argument uh, against slavery from Scripture did prevail. And so I, I think we can be pretty consistent and pretty confident that the answer to the question, does the Bible endorse slavery, is absolutely not. Absolutely not. So next time you're in the cafe or Barnes & Noble and somebody asks you, you are now equipped to answer the question. Let's move on to uh, how this passage may apply to our lives in some ways. How, how, this is the question I want to ask. How can I have the best boss ever? How can I have the best boss ever? Um, or to put it another way, what is this passage saying about our lives? I think first of all, of all, given the history that I just reviewed, we need to fight slavery in the world. Do you know that there are more people enslaved now than any other time in the history of the world? And it's so interesting that today as well, on the very forefront of the fight against slavery around the world, you will see Christians. Like they were, in many respects, it was those of, of Christian faith who brought to attention to the world the problem of slavery in the world and have been on the forefront. And we, in the beginning of our congregation's history, were engaged in some ways in the fight against slavery, modern-day slavery. Um, right now, we're, we're not particularly officially engaged, but I would love for us to take up this banner again in some way and to be engaged in the fight. It's an incredibly important one because there are more slaves today, as I said, than any other time in the history of the world. So that's one simple way in which this passage applies 
to us today. But then we have to take and transpose the principles of this passage into our, our modern life. And I think, as many commentators do and preachers have been doing for years and years, hundreds of years, is taking some of the principles from this passage and applying them into our work life, acknowledging that there's a great difference between slaves and masters and workers and bosses. Nevertheless, there are some principles here that apply to our lives. And so let me just pull out a few of those briefly. The first one is that this passage shows you and me how to treat subordinates. And many of you are managers, many of you oversee sometimes many people, and you're dealing with them on a daily basis, and you have incredible power over their lives, authority in their lives, opportunity to speak in their lives. And this passage says something about how we're to treat those who are subordinate under us in working relationships. It's very easy to confuse a person's role and a person's value. We've seen this in actually the last three passages. This is one of the key elements of Paul's argument here. And we should note, it's astounding in the history of the world at this time for Paul to address slaves directly in his writing here in Ephesians. Most would just skip over and ignore the fact that they were even people to be addressed uh, and, and taught. But Paul spends a good bit of time talking to the slaves. And in doing so, he's acknowledging that they are uh, ethically responsible people who, who have, who have uh, a right you know, to their existence. And so he's sort of breaking the mold uh, in that. And it says something about the way we think of others. Again, value is not determined by what we do. Value is determined by the fact that we are made in the image of God, every single human being, and that in Christ we can be redeemed by God. Okay? Those two statements determine the value of a human being, not what they accomplish in this world, not their position not their role. And, and though you might agree with that, if you are a manager, you may find at times it's easy to forget. And it's easy to transpose and think that those in lesser role are of lesser value. And we must fight against that because God doesn't look at it that way. God does not look at people in that way at all. And so I want to encourage you, those of you who are managers, I want you to think through the people that you manage even right now, and are there some that you have put in a different place, that you have sort of, you've, you, you've subordinated, subordinated not, not their role, but their actual value? And how might you, you make that right? This is, this is one of the easiest ways for you to proclaim the gospel in your workplace. If you're a manager and you're overseeing people and they feel from you something different, that you see in them intrinsic value, and you, 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 you acknowledge their personhood and draw it out and, and just treat them in that way, it is a wonderful opportunity and a simple way for you to be leaning into the gospel by your actions and showing that to others. Each person is made in the image of God. Each person have gifts, has gifts to offer. When we hire somebody uh, on our staff here, of course, there's a whole conversation about what will this person do for the church, for the staff, what role will they play. But one of the things that I love to also ask in our interviews and, and, and then to ask as we go on is, 
how can we be a blessing to you? In other words, what is God calling you to become and do in this world? And how can your time with us, whether long or short, build into who God is calling you to be? And, and it can become a kind of a two-way street there where, where we're being blessed. And when you do that, you know, when you understand somebody's giftedness and you acknowledge, you know, their, their value and their worth, you get so much more out of the relationship. They give more freely and give more, and you, and you contribute, and you get the beauty of that, and it's this back-and-forth thing. And this is what God intended for us uh, when we're relating to one another, is to acknowledge the value, the intrinsic value, the the imago dei, the image of God in each person. So it shows us how to treat subordinates. This text also shows us how to be a subordinate, to be under somebody else's authority. You see that in the three different passages we've just, just looked at. This is a reality of life. You will oftentimes be over some people and under some people, and you will have a, a boss. And again, you're to remember that your value to God as a subordinate, is equal to the value of whoever's in authority over you. This is a very important thing for you to settle into your soul, that you are just as valuable before God. There's no partiality, as it says. You are just as valuable to, before God. And this has an interesting effect on the way that you serve. It frees you up, actually, to be generous in giving of yourself and to serve others. Because you're not biting and scratching and fighting to, to, to be recognized or known so that you can feel valuable and worth something. See, if your worth is already in Jesus Christ, if your worth is in the fact that you've been made in the image of God, then you're freed to give of yourself generously to your work and to serve others generously. And let me just tell you, your boss is never going to give you an attaboy or a pat on the back or a promotion or an increase in pay that will ever even begin remotely to compare with what God has done and what God has said about you in the person of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus would go to the cross to die a, an atoning death for your sin because he valued you so much is the greatest statement that ever could be made about your worth. So stop trying to find your value in pleasing your boss or anybody else, ultimately. You've already been made worthy in Christ. So I, this is, you get to fire your boss, actually, now. Anybody ever want to fire their boss? Andrew's raising his hand in the back. Bummer. <laughs> Work on that. Um, anybody ever want to fire their boss? Um, you get to fire your boss here. And, and you know what? This is a good thing for your boss. For you to accept your, the, that you're made in the image and that Christ died for you and your value is in that, to free you up to generously serve actually makes you a better employee. And your boss will get somebody that's better if you remember your heavenly master first and foremost. And that's what Paul is calling us to. Um, where is it? Verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. That's, that's the call. That's the blessing. Jesus is boss. And if you make your boss the boss of you, you will experience enslavement to a person who's not worthy 
of being your master in that sense. If, by the way, this can happen with parents too, right? Some of us are really struggling because we have made our parents the boss of us and we're doing life to please them. That's not going to work. We're going to be enslaved to imperfect people if we do that. So if Jesus is our boss, we're freed from enslavement to our boss. We're freed from, uh, our, you know, if, if our spouse is the one that we're working for, we're always going to be underappreciated because they're never going to see everything that we do for them, right? They don't have the capacity to see that. But Jesus sees everything. He sees all that we do. If you're working for your children, if that's your God and you're trying to make them successful, then uh, you will, you will, they will eventually leave and you will be left empty. And if you're working for yourself, then you're never going to find fulfillment. But if you're working for the Lord, you will always be valued so you can give of yourself generously. You will always be appreciated because God sees everything that you're doing. You will never be left alone. And you will ultimately be fulfilled. Because only God knows what you need to be fulfilled. And it says he will reward you. And do you want the reward from the one who made you and designed you and knows exactly what you want? Or do you want the reward from somebody who can't do that? And by the way, those of you who are students and just graduating, this is such a powerful lesson. If you would get this lesson, I remember, I don't know where I heard this. I've been to so many commencement speeches in my life, but I remember one of the best ones I heard was um, somebody talking about not being afraid to sweep the floors. And to, his point was, don't be afraid to serve. And if you young, younger people among us who are graduating and going on to first jobs, if you will just get this point that your identity is not set on your, your job title or how much you make or any of that, and you will just go into the workplace with that humble attitude, secure in the Lord, able to give generously, I mean, seriously, you will, you will blow doors off places because you will, be, you will be serving and giving in a way that is so uncharacteristic and unusual. So I just encourage you with that. Now, I'm struck as I close uh, by Christ in this. Christ could have mobilized the masses. You know, he had all these people following him, and he could have mobilized them, you know, in some political effort to overthrow uh, the Roman Empire. Um, he could have called down angels, legions of angels, to save him from the agony of the cross. He could have used his powers for himself. Remember when Satan tempted him and you know, that said basically, you know, you can have everything um, if you bow down and worship me. He could have used all that for himself. But isn't it fascinating how Christ remained subordinate to the Father in all that he did? And he ended up walking out this path that was slightly odd in some ways for who he was. I mean, the power that he had and the following, you know, he'd have these crowds of people following him, and then he'd turn and go to another place. Or he tried to run away and go pray from them. You know, he, he had this, this interesting, but he followed God. He was under the radar. And yet, isn't it interesting that today, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him? And we rarely talk about all those people who had power 
in that day. Because Jesus Christ, what he focused on was being obedient to his real boss, which was his father. And in doing so, God made of his life something lasting and meaningful. And that, isn't that what we want? That's what we want of our lives, to be something lasting and meaningful. And the, the only true way to make that happen is to subordinate ourselves to our Lord and make him our boss. So, Lord, help us to fire our bosses, in a sense, and put you at the center of our work lives and to serve you first and foremost. And we know that in doing so, we will give generously to their workplaces and they will, they will be blessed with a new kind of a worker. Help us to love those we manage, to want them to flourish and grow and to appreciate the image of God in them and the fact that you died on the cross to make salvation available to each person. So help us to manage in such a way that the people around us feel their value and their love, the love from us. And let that even begin to open doors of conversation for the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.